0: Celebrity voice impersonated.
1: Well, hello. This is a friend, Rick Dees. It's the Get Off My Lawn podcast going all the way to number one. We expect Kevin to get this bright podcast all the way to number one sometime in 2026, but lock in and stay right there. Listen, it is a
2: hit. It's the Get Off My Lawn podcast for the week of September 10th, 2017. On tonight's program, you'll hear veteran radio personality Brian Whitman say,
3: The important thing you need them to know, they'll never appreciate it, because they'll never hear it if you fail to entertain them first.
2: Plus, you'll hear from the Philassidorks and film critic Tim Brennan. I'm your announcer, Craig, and here's your genial host, Kevin. Thank you, Craig, and welcome
0: back, my friends, to the podcast that never ends. I am Kevin your genial host, and if this is your first time listening to the podcast, you picked a good week to check in with us. Uh, we got a great show lined up for you. We have radio god, radio guru, voiceover master Brian Whitman with us. He's going to be talking all kinds of cool stuff. We have the Philosodorks, Rich and Jesse coming to us very much live, albeit connected to an IV from Rich's hospital room. Yeah, uh, this is what we do here on the podcast, is neither rain, nor sleet, nor snow, nor dead of night, nor strange infections shall prevent us from broadcasting the best possible show to you, the listener. For what you guys are paying for the show, all I'm saying is just, you know, a little gratitude. Is that too much to ask? (laughs) Honestly, though, Rich is in the hospital, and we do talk to Rich, and we talk to him about economics. I know normally we talk about philosophy, but today we combine philosophy and economics. And if you are saying to yourself, because you've already fallen asleep, hey, give us some credit. Cut us some slack. Give us a chance. This is an interesting topic. It is handled in our usual professional I couldn't even say that with a straight face. Look, we have a little bit of fun talking about economics, talking about philosophy, as we always do, and, and I, I, I try to mansplain something to Jesse, and it ends really badly, as, as it always does, so you want to check in and, and, and stay tuned for that. Also, wrapping things up, we have our resident film critic, Tim, talking about the latest Stephen King adaptation, IT, featuring Pennywise the Clown. Uh, some of you might remember the original made for TV miniseries with with Pennywise being played by Tim Curry and, and also featuring Harry Anderson from Night court and and the late great John Ritter we talk a little bit about that as well but mostly Tim reviews the current film and and uh, what it's about what it's like it's it's hugely popular it has made a ton of cash so I, I don't know how we managed to do it but we are somehow topical this week we're relevant something we don't ever strive to be on this show we've managed to become accidentally which is indirectly cool and awesome so that's you got that to look forward to In the meantime, I've been a fan of and respected the work of Brian Whitman for years. Today, he and I talk radio, and he has a unique perspective in the business. His voice is worth listening to, not just because he has a strong broadcaster voice, but because he has experienced nearly all facets of radio. He can speak as an expert on the topic. And our show has no official motto. If you heard last week, we tried out a couple of potential mottos, uh, one of them being, uh, uh, no pun intended, and another one being pants optional. So both of those, I think, are just good mottos for life in general, not just for podcasting. But uh, y- you can decide whether or not they work for you. In the meantime, a motto I would like to see adopted, not just for this show, but uh, just across the board. And, and I first heard it from Harlan Ellison's mouth, though I suspect others said it before him. But uh, the, the, the motto I'm thinking of is everyone is not entitled to their own opinion. Everyone is entitled to their own informed opinion, and Brian Whitman is as informed on radio as anyone could hope to be. So we had a a good conversation, and I learned a lot. I I don't know that he learned anything from me, but uh, I learned a lot. Hopefully you guys will enjoy it, and here it is.
3: Let's do this. I'm ready for
0: you, Kevin. Let's start asking questions. All right. Ladies, gentlemen, and all those in between, I am here today via telephone with Brian David Whitman, longtime radio personality. I'm trying to think when I first heard you. I think it was KBC coming on 15, maybe 20 years ago. Am I wrong about that? uh
3: kabc coming on 15 or 20 did you say years ago
0: yeah when 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 did i hear you there
3: yeah you heard me at kabc i was the host on the station taking a time capsule who um basically defended bill clinton in the existence (laughs) of a stained blue dress sometimes your job is hard but uh you know it happened in i started on kabc the end of note in december of 1998 you might remember ken minyard the great ken minyard oh yeah ken minyard chose me ken minyard chose me to be his villain i have a great relationship with ken but he's fully retired he doesn't do anything i called him once kevin i said Ken, come on my podcast Said brian i love you if i did a podcast it'd be yours but when i wrote that i was retired it was with capital r and it was underlined (laughs) i'm retired i don't do anything yeah i kind of respected it It, uh, I, i i like that At the time, Ken Ninyard and Peter Tilden were doing the morning show. They got rid of Ken and Peter, and they put in Mr. KABC, an old, dear friend of mine. We're not as close now as we once were. I wish we were that close. It's probably on me to to rebuild that relationship. That's for the personal side of the Brian (laughs) Woodson podcast, which involves uh, rebuilding friendships. I feel like every morning, you know, some people get up in the morning, and they have a to-do list, and they check it off. I get up every morning with a people to apologize list <laughs> to, and I go through the day checking off. But they put us on, I'll, uh, I think it was December 14th. I have a rain man like, it was the day after my brother's birthday. My brother, God love him, uh, he's uh, living in New York, was born December 13th. So December 14th, 1998. That's almost 20 years ago. I started uh, as my own person in Los Angeles doing a radio show. It was seven or eight years earlier, beginning in 1991, January, that I started contributing to the Rick Dees show, doing people like former President Bush, the first one, and people like Bill Clinton, right. and original characters like <laughs> Big Breasted Bonnie, and all of that kind of. And before KABC, actually, in the mid-90s, I should give credit, the first radio station in L.A. to put me on and say B. Brian Whitman was a station located at 97.1 FM on the dial. They were brand new. They were they're KLSX, right. and they were KLSX then, and they were called Real Radio 97.1, and their hosts were people like Cato Kalin, and someone called me and said, Whitman, they said you'd never fill in for Cato Kalin, but damn it, they were wrong. <laughs> they said, we're, we've gone the other way with Cato. will you do his show for two weeks? And I said, sure. So I was doing a morning show in San Diego at the time, so I was a total radio nut. I finished my morning show at 9 o'clock. By 9.10, I was driving up the freeway, and I got to KLSX to do Middays, and I did Tato for, for two weeks, which sounds weird, but I did his show for two <laughs> weeks. And then, I, and then I was a fill-in at KLSX, real Radio 97.1, so different than the incarnation of the format that I found great success doing uh, with Tim Conway, Jr., who yeah. led me there and steered the ship, and, and I loved him, but... Um, that was in 1995 and 90, 96 specifically. They offered me nights. I remember they called me. I was on vacation at my parents' house, which, by the way, when you've just moved from your parents' house across the country, to take your vacation back to your parents' house is not necessarily the greatest <laughs> idea because it's just like it's like, oh, I lived this way eight months ago, and every frustration I had when I lived here is still present. It's only compounded by the tremendous sadness my mother feels over the fact that I don't live here anymore. (laughs) So that made it a little bumpy, but that all worked out, of course, and uh, so... The the format, if I will, I know I'm ranting, but uh, I like you, Kevin. Well, my (laughs) my, um, the the real radio format led by genius. They call him a genius, so he must be Walter Sabo, the programming consultant. Was that uh, you? Repeat the topic. You repeat the topic. You repeat the topic. You repeat the topic like that many times, Mm -hmm. and then you give the phone number. Then you give the phone number. Then you get phone number, and people react to the one line. And one thing I do agree with Walter, I agree with Walter on a lot. He went on to use me for pilots for television shows. Walter, I guess, ostensibly is a fan of what I do. And I'm ostensibly and enthusiastically and publicly a fan of Walter <laughs> Uh The idea was you would, you would think of a topic, and they put me on at 1 in the morning. And I remember I was in San Diego doing the mornings. I mean, mornings in San Diego was a great job. I had selected it because I loved the lifestyle, and I ultimately selected it over KLSX. Brief story, it won't take more than a minute. I had a panic attack or an anxiety attack. Panic attack means you're going to die. You think you're going to die. An anxiety attack, you think you're just going to have to do an hour on KLSX. There is a difference. (laughs) And I I went to, uh, my topic was, I got it from a magazine, what do you think about when you're having sex? And I came on at 1 a.m. And I hit the air and it was something like this. Uh, Real Radio 97.1. I'm Brian Whitman. What do you think about when you're having sex? 520-9710-888-520-9710. What do you think about when you're having sex? Do your thoughts stray? Do you stay focused? 520 9710 888 it felt like a very contrived way to do a talk radio topic. That's
0: a little and tough. It was really,
3: my yeah, one of my first parades, Kevin, into talk radio. But gosh darn it, it worked. People called and people said, "I think about the next time I'm going to have sex." I said, "That's like going to Disneyland and thinking about the next time you go on Space Mountain. Why not appreciate the Space Mountain that's right there in front of you?" You know what I'm saying?
0: Oh yeah, I, I do like that. You know, even on your current show, and I should mention, you know, you're, you're on the Answer now. You do the Morning Answer every morning. And uh, you, you have a very conversational style that I that I admire. You have a way of whether it's with the callers or with your co-host Jennifer, you can actually treat them not like a caller but like a human being having a conversation with. Them. Kevin, that means a lot to me. Uh,
3: my radio, my primary radio. I call
0: him my radio dad,
3: is a guy named Scott Shannon.
0: I grew up listening to
3: Scott Shannon when he recreated New York radio and did The Morning Zoo on C100, a top 40 contemporary hit radio station. That's when the radio bug bit me. He invited me to the studio to do some of my voices and bits on the air. And then I went on to work for him on his morning shows. I talked to him all the time. I'm not name-dropping, although I did a pretty good job of that, didn't I, Kevin?
0: <laughs> I didn't I, hear it at all. I, it slid right past me. What
3: I learned, what, one thing I learned from Scott, you talk about the interaction with others, whether they be callers or co-hosts or your colleagues, traffic people, news people. Scott Shannon got me in his office one day, and he said, Brian, He said, let me ask you a question. He was sort of uh, mentoring me. I knew him since I was 13 when I called into Z100 doing Ronald Reagan, you know, at Rodney Dangerfield. He said to me, he said, Brian... How do you, which is Scott's brilliant, because who else in radio, who else in management, who else at any job asks you a question that actually gets you to stop and consider the status of your business or what makes your business tick or what makes it successful? I just find him to be, he's just, he's just my favorite. He's brilliant in every way. I love Rick Dees. He's my favorite too. I have a couple of favorites, but Scott for so many reasons. Scott says to me, Brian, when you're on the radio, how do you think listeners to the radio find out who you are. How do they figure out who Brian is when they listen to you on the radio? And I paused because I knew it was an important question and I wanted to get the answer right. So I paused and I said, well, they listen and they hear what I have to say and they hear me give opinions and they hear me share stories of my family. And he said, okay, I mean, that's all part of it. said, that That's not the right answer. And he gave me rice Aroni uh, parting treat, and <laughs> then he brought in Todd Pettengill and asked him the same question. No, he said to me, I'll give you the answer, buddy. And Kevin, this is great. I think for anyone aspiring to radio, even those who aren't, he said people figure who you are, Brian. They figure out who you are by hearing you interact, have a conversation with another person. Yeah, that's brilliant. And it's true. Isn't it true, Kevin?
0: Yeah. And I said, you know, For, for the, again, for those who don't know you, you're, you work currently on The Answer. You are, I, I won't dare label you, but you're certainly not a conservative and you're on a radio station Full of let, me labor, <laughs> l- let
3: me label myself. I'm a proud liberal. I don't call myself a progressive, but I have progressive causes. I'm a proud liberal who's been doing so-called conservative talk radio for more than two decades, and I've survived and become one of the most popular hosts, I think, in conservative talk radio. You know why? Because I entertain the audience, I right. think, not always. Uh, and entertainment, I've said this, this should be on my tombstone, but now I'm in the mode of getting cremated, so you know, I, every day I go back and forth. <laughs> But this would be the inscription, the entertainment value of the show, the entertainment value of the show is always secondary to the politics of the host.
0: I I, I agree with that. I I, I don't know that everybody on the answer would agree with that. (laughs) No, I don't. I don't think they
3: all would. I was at a company uh, cult meeting we have in Camarillo. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) They brought us up there and we had a great meeting. And they went. They, put, they were kind enough and generous enough, and I was humbled when they put me on a panel. And they asked me a number of questions. I was sitting next to Larry Elder, and we had a great time. And they asked me a question that allowed me to answer something that I'll always remember. And they said, "Brian, what would your message be for our company?" Or something like that, like a wrap-up. You know, like say something, and then you fat bald guy who's a liberal, like, I can't believe you even work here. Get off the stage. Go home. Don't ever come back. Pretend this never happened. So I get off. Uh, I was asked about you know the message. Salem, God love them, and I do mean that, and I am a Christian. Our company has a worldview. Our company is not a company that is not spiritually, politically connected to what's going on in the world. They know who they like politically. They know who they'd rather not see, win, elected office. And they have a really good barometer for right and wrong in society and in business. And I respect working for that company. It's the Latin, not that that I don't respect those things, but they are the last company. I was out of work for four years. LSX doing real formats that were based on just, you know, ripping it up. I never thought that the station that would hire me and keep me for six years, and by the way, you get a little bit of a scoop, the talk is that I'm very close to signing a contract extension that'll have me there through the entire Trump administration. Very nice. So I'm really happy about that. But they asked me about uh, about their mission and all that, and I said, you know what? I respect your mission. I might not agree with all of it, but I certainly respect it. And as somebody who works here, will do everything I can to showcase what you need showcased in the best possible light. And it's not like it needs a lot of lighting because they because it is a very benevolent. It is a very benevolent quest that they're on. I'll make the point. I said to them, guys, you have a lot of great and important things to say. Some of the things that some of our hosts say are world-changing statements. They would, if consumed by the world, they they have the power of changing the world. And then I said, but you will never, and I mean this, everybody in radio, television, newspapers, I mean this in a conversation on the street at Starbucks. You will never Get someone to appreciate your political, spiritual perspective. The important thing you need them to know, they'll never appreciate it because they'll never hear it if you fail to entertain them first.
0: Yep, I I couldn't agree with you more. And there's, I, you know, I I guess part of the reason why I first thought of asking you on the show is, and the, the show itself is focused predominantly on writers and other creative people in media. And I've had singer songwriters, I've had actors, I've had film directors, uh, film writers, different people, TV showrunners. Um, and thank you, by the way, for for giving me a couple minutes of your day here. And but uh, oh my
3: gosh, thank you for thank you for asking me. And when you describe the show, I mean. I know you're interviewing me, but but indulge me with 30 seconds. What is it about your background that 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 made you interested in interviewing such an eclectic mix of creative people? Hats off to you. That's a and by the way, the, uh, for your audience, that's a lot of work too because interviewing <laughs> uh, interviewing a guy, interviewing a guy who writes software is a lot easier than interviewing a guy who is and eclectic and you know we call them eccentric unless they're poor <laughs> then we call oh, them sure. crazy you know rich people who are <laughs> nuttier than a fruitcake like howard hughes are called eccentric the guy in front of the bank of america today he's called a nut and put in handcuffs but anyway what 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 drove you to that because that's uh and, and just take a moment because i know sure. we're uh, headed toward a question
0: well, yeah, now I've got to try and remember the question, but uh, to, to, to answer your question, I think I, I saw a void in, in both broadcasting and podcasting where you can listen to almost any radio show, you know, yours included, and hear uh, pundits talk, and you can listen to almost any you know, FM show and hear the latest pop star talk about his or her album, but you don't hear a lot from the behind-the-scenes people. And because I worked very briefly behind the scenes in, in TV and studied it in college and studied radio in college, those are the people that interested me as sort of the people, the, the unsung heroes, as it were. And so even though you are on-air talent, you're also, you know, you've done stuff where you weren't credited. Like you said, when you worked and did voices, you know, on the Rick D show and on other shows, you know, there, there's, there's a background to that that people don't know much about or or don't hear much about and that's the sort of thing that interests me
3: oh that's uh that type of thing interests me too so kevin thank you we share common interests and really i do thank you for including me on your show because um because it's a compliment it really is when people care enough about what you do to ask you questions about it that's like a really positive thing last time I checked. So anyway, thank
0: you. Oh yeah, and, and you do, and for those again that don't know, I feel like I'm introducing you several times, it's almost like we're coming back from commercial, but uh, we uh, we have no commercial, sadly. But uh, uh, you also do voiceover work, even I saw you on Twitter uh, joking about your time working on, on the old uh, Celebrity Deathmatch show on M- MTV, doing voice. You know what, buddy?
3: Twitter, Twitter is so
0: weird. <laughs> I was, I was uh, in the Twitter sphere, I was
3: out and about, and I came across a tweet from a lady, and the tweet was almost verbatim, why didn't Geraldo Rivera or uh, or a uh, characterization of him, although yes. well, she didn't write that word, ever appear on MTV Celebrity Deathmatch? MTV Celebrity Deathmatch was a 90s show
2: right. where
3: they, of course, with Claymation and everybody knows Celebrity Deathmatch. And I saw that tweet and I'm like, wow, Twitter is remarkable because I did Geraldo Rivera on Celebrity <laughs> Deathmatch. And so I tweeted back to her. I did two voices on When I first came to L.A. after leaving uh, WABC and WPLJ, where I was the interim afternoon drive host after doing all nights on WABC, one of the things on my to-do list was I want to get on that celebrity death match because I watched it. What they used to do is they would send through your agent. We're looking for the following voices. So it's say, Brian. We're looking for someone to do Kevin. We're looking for someone to do Ronald Reagan and Geraldo. Uh, have your client call this number and leave us a voicemail with the with the voice sample. It was real old school and very efficient, maybe too efficient. <laughs> I called the number, and, and I did it because I used to hear Geraldo on the radio sometimes, and Reagan, you know, I used Reagan on the radio, too, as probably everybody did. And they booked you through the voicemail, and I, I remember it was a non-union job, and I think they paid you $210, <laughs> and it was It was like not a lot of pay, but it was great because Celebrity Deathmatch, especially looking now, 20 years later back, is one of those shows that is identified with a generation. I mean, people really like that show, and I was very happy that, you know, the credit is not mine. The voices are, I don't mean my voices, I mean, generally speaking, all of the voices on Celebrity Deathmatch are great. But the claymation, the look is what sells you. You get this wacky look of Geraldo. And then my one line, which I do recall, was uh, I was standing outside a locker room, Geraldo was, where they believed the killer was inside. And I said, you know, they, they went into the locker room and they found evidence. And just the line that struck me as funny was Geraldo saying, and look at this. Look at what investigators have found. They found pornography on top of other pornography. And it was just, you know, it's just, I don't know if that's good Geraldo, but the line always used to be getting it on. I'm in Iraq where I found the Mujahideen in Afghanistan, the Mujahideen getting it on. And it was just so stupid, you know, and it was was really great. I enjoyed very much doing that. And you know what, honest to goodness, a radio guy gets in a studio or on the phone with Kevin and you want to talk forever (laughs) because uh, it's important because you love to talk about what you do. But it literally took seven or eight minutes. You know, they said, so Reagan, they give you the script. And then as any artist, I think, or performer, I add lines. I don't know if you can call them lines, but as Reagan, I'm standing there in the studio. They're in New York. They're 3,000 miles away. And I'm just doing things like, And all those little wild cuts made its way into the show, which I think was a little icing on the cake.
0: And that—that's that. You know, I, I like that. Just yeah, that was a show from from my nefarious youth. I do remember watching that one. It was that and Beavis and ButtHead, were the back to back shows of their day. Yeah, right. Right. right, right. <laughs> now tell me, just because you you've had this experience, how like I guess it's an easy question to say how has radio changed? But we know radio has changed. How is it going to continue to change? What What do you think is next in, in terms of the future of talk radio? Yeah, I don't know that there can be a whole lot.
3: I think next on the docket is to radio to continue to fight off the competition now t- now television fought off cable people thought and you might not be too young you might be too young to remember take old uncle brian's word for it <laughs> people thought cable tv would be would be the end of of broadcast television right. it wasn't it became a fierce competitor of broadcast television that i think elevated the game networks knew because there was a show on NBC, because there was a show on HBO called The Sopranos, and great shows on HBO, ABC and Stephen Bochco knew, wow, we better really um, have a cutting edge show like NYPD Blue. So I think uh, two shows that I love. So oh, yeah. I think the consumer benefits from that. I think radio needs to do two things: continue to be relevant in the community. If you're doing, if you're, if you're a twenty four seven satellite. Frequency. I don't know if I can help you, but we see in Houston, for example, stations that are not coming out, touching the community, holding members of the community and having drives and charitable events that benefit the community that they live in. The people who live there who are affected know those disc jockeys. They know those broadcasters. That's how it was when I was growing up in New York. Such a large, big, booming metropolis, but a small town because the guy who did nights on C100, I knew him. Mm -hmm. And at least I I felt like I did, and that mattered to me. And also, radio needs to remind people, I don't have the stat in front of me specifically, but when it comes to interactions with media, radio, AM, FM, traditional radio, still, I think it's 90%, but I stand to be corrected, and I encourage to be corrected if I'm not right, but I think it's pretty close to 90% of Americans every week have an interaction with good old-fashioned terrestrial AM/FM radio, that's a higher interaction rate than they do with television, higher than they do with smartphones, higher than they do with uh, you know with the internet. Mm-hmm. It's radio. It's radio, and uh, it survived this far. It's not going anywhere. But if the homogenization of the business model really impacts the creativity and stifles people and I'll refer to myself in third person because it's so unattractive. <laughs> if 13-year-olds like Brian Whitman cease to be touched or bitten by the radio bug, like I was when I first heard Scott Shannon on C100 then radio will lose its bench, and radio can't afford, no industry can afford to lose its bench. Politics
0: can't. Yeah. Look at
3: what's happening in the Democratic Party right now.
0: You know what I'm saying? I'd rather not. Yeah, okay. <laughs> It's not pretty. Yeah, I would need it. <laughs> you know what, Kevin?
3: I'm sorry I brought it up. <laughs>
0: So, I mean, what you said rings very, very true to me. There is was a, a longtime veteran L.A. DJ, Jim Ladd, who who now is on satellite radio, but he had written a book many, many years ago, and he, the whole gist of what he was talking about in terms of L.A. radio was it was the tribal drum. It was where we all gathered, you know, when a celebrity passes away, you're not turning on the TV to find out what happened, you're turning on the radio to hear, you know, what happened. When the latest breaking news happens, whether it's all you know, all the weather events we've had or whatever else, it is... You know the folks in radio that that we tune to, which is a responsibility that not every person on air takes seriously. I feel that you do. I think you still have a lot of fun, as you said, and you'll make your shows entertaining. But I also think you respect the craft, and it shows in how you broadcast.
3: I do. I'm
0: not someone who got into
3: radio to change the world. I'm not someone who thought, oh, I can put a few sentences together on politics. I should get a radio show. No way. Not me. I heard radio and I thought, wow, I heard Al Rosenberg, a man whose name a lot of people might not know, calling into the Don Imus show doing characters, and everyone was laughing at him because he was funny, and I thought, wow, I'd love that job, to make Imus laugh. And I thought, well, being Imus wouldn't be too terrible either. And I you,
0: you, do, you do you do a from mean him. Imus too, by the way. You do a dead-on uh, Imus. 22
3: minutes now before they are.
1: And I did Imus
3: for Imus. He laughed at it. He was very gracious. But I came to it as an art, I really do respect it as an art form.
2: Brace yourselves for some deep thoughts, with the help of the Philosodorks. Well, I appreciate you, you
0: know, taking time from your being a sick, sick bastard to come and be a sick, sick bastard on air here.
4: I mean, I've been a sick bastard my whole life, one way or the other, so just, you know, one more, the latest iteration of that.
0: That's very true. All right, well, again, Rich is sitting in, in, on his deathbed. Let's just go ahead and say this now. Rich has moments <laughs> left to live. And
4: actually, at the moment in my death recliner, if you want to be perfectly <laughs> uh, accurate. Yeah, I'm
5: actually in the deathbed. Okay,
0: fair enough. You know, that's marriage is 50-50. It's give and take. That's how it goes, so I, I understand that. Well, we're going to talk... We're gonna talk some philosophy today and we're going to spring a topic on you like we have been doing and because you're sick we're not going to lighten up or you know, humor you at all. We're going to be as vicious and cutting as, as ever, and Jesse I'm counting on you to be a part of that.
5: You
0: <laughs> but I thought we would talk the philosophy of economics. Specifically okay. Specifically, what are politicians, the media, liberals, and conservatives getting wrong about socialism versus capitalism versus communism? I know this is one that sticks in your craw, which while you're there you should have the doctors take a look at your craw because it's getting pretty pretty full up. But, uh, you know, I'm
4: actually thinking about having a craw after
0: me. Yeah, you might as well. While you're there, you might as well. But but I see you whenever somebody says, oh, Obama was a socialist or whatever, that's something. If you ever want to tick tick off a rich, that's how you do it. <laughs>
4: Just go ahead and misuse a term in political philosophy. I will absolutely end you.
0: Yeah, so, so so, set the record straight and get into a little bit of what we think we know and get wrong or what we don't know or what we need to know about these basic... And again, they're, they're both economic terms, but they're also philosophical terms.
4: Well, right, so what we have tended to call socialism is anything where the government gives anybody anything. That's... That's yeah. pretty much the, the definition we hear in this country, and so even Bernie Sanders, who claims to be a democratic socialist, Bernie, if you're listening, and come on, like you've got anything else better <laughs> to do right now. If you're listening, Bernie, I hate to break it to you, you're not a socialist, dude. Well, he doesn't
5: claim to be a socialist, he claims to be a democratic socialist. Well, he There's claims to be a
4: de- democratic socialist, but he's still, socialism in, in, the, in the actual strictest definition is government ownership of the means of production.
5: Okay, that's the strictest definition. Yes. What's the practical
0: definition? Because that's different. No, no, the practical. No, see, when you say practical definition here, let's clarify what Jesse. I think you're asking. And yeah, this is me mansplaining to you. So feel free and bitch slap me next time you see me. But what I, what I think you're asking is why? Wh- what it, what is the media saying is socialism? No,
5: that is actually not what I'm saying. I'm not saying what the media is calling socialism, what I'm saying is from a practical standpoint, not looking it up in a dictionary how does the average human being who has some knowledge of anything how do they view socialism? Like, socialism according to Marx or whoever is the government controlling the means of production, but that isn't what socialism means anymore when you put it in a political context
4: Well, And and I guess my point is I agree that people use the word socialism that way. I'm just saying they're wrong when they use it that way. Well, <laughs> and and, and that's they... what they're asking, what they're advocating really is something closer to FDR style welfare state capitalism where you still have private enterprise where there are private companies and people own private property and it's just that the government is allowed to set a fairly significant amount of rules on how they run their shit uh, and they're allowed to tax them heavily enough to redistribute that income to the poor uh, and to sort of social programs. And the fact that that's called socialism, and I'm sorry if I'm kind of uh, uh, monologuing now, but the fact that that's called socialism is evidence of uh, the victory in the PR wars, if you will, of the right wing people who absolutely hated FDR and called him a communist, uh, and called LVJ a communist, and called Bernie a communist. <laughs> I mean, maybe he's a socialist, he's definitely not a communist. Uh, because then you're talking about a whole other thing uh, where you believe in this thing called historical materialism and believe that uh, there are there have been historically periods of different types of societies organized around different forms of production and as that changes eventually there's a revolution and it's this whole weird like almost sci-fi kind of thing it's basically just this side of dianetic uh, actual communism but really socialism is things like like, in the U.K., they used to have, like, the government owned the railroads and the coal mines and stuff. Right. And they and still own the healthcare system.
0: Yeah, and car, really- car manufacturing was a big one for them, too, where they owned the car manufacturing in the U.K.
4: And, okay, that's socialism, right? Uh, and, like, just, you know, ha- having a, a generous, for example, uh, unemployment insurance system like they had in Denmark uh, is not socialism. Ha- having the government pay most uh, for most of the health care that in itself that's a socialist kind of attitude toward health care uh... so you know does that does that does the fact that bernie advocates that make him a socialist or a democratic socialist overall ah, I don't know.
0: <laughs> so who so who is operating as a socialist country right now is canada socialist is the uk still socialist mm-hmm.
4: No, Canada has way too many oil oil companies making shitloads.
0: Right, right, that's Capitalism what I thought.
4: Socialists. Cuba is a communist country. I don't know what the hell North Korea is. I don't China think they know either. China isn't socialist. There's, there's way too many capitalists there. It's not really clear to me that there are that many countries that are, or really any, that are operating, properly speaking, as socialist countries. They might have specific policies that are socialist, so there might be a particular... Hey, economy.
0: Like I hear it. I hear a machine that goes ping. That is much more important than Rich's diatribe. <laughs>
4: ping. <laughs> All right, good. I'm glad. So you're lucky. Uh, you called it just the right time to have the uh, the IV run out. Nice. Uh, so well done there. Yeah. Uh, but, but anyway, uh, so you know, if, if there are companies making money and stockholders and things that of that nature, you do not have a socialist economy. Uh, now, if there are particular industries that are controlled by the government, then as to those industries you have socialism, but you, don't, you still might not necessarily have a socialist country if it's a, just like a really kind of focused, like well, we just own the, the healthcare system top to bottom like they do in the UK. And, and so then I mentioned that a country like Saudi Arabia, where they own all, the, the government owns the oil, Iran does the same thing, um, most of those sort of petro-states are like that. I mean, those are probably closer to being socialist countries because that's really the only like actual like source of any income uh, is the oil, so you so you can kind of argue. You know,
0: so then so then we can have both we can have both a tyranny and a socialist country at the same time. Oh clearly yeah.
5: <laughs> so my question was what then is the difference between communism and socialism because what you're describing is what I understand as communist. So evidently I'm one of the idiots who doesn't know what any of those things are.
4: You're, you're not an idiot here.
5: Uh, could you be
0: more patronizing? <laughs> hey, I already tried to mansplain to you, and I got it wrong, so. <laughs> could you be a
5: little bit more patronizing of me in the way that you said that?
4: Well, like, if I got a running start, maybe. But otherwise, <laughs> oh. I apologize. This is the best segment we've ever done, dude. You this cl- is, like far and away.
0: We're going to have to do all of your episodes in, in the hospital, which for you is probably not un- an unlikely o- option, but... <laughs>
4: Yeah, that's
5: that's that's an easy schedule to pull off. I and think for our th- podcasts are going to happen not because we're in the hospital, but because I'm cranky.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and for those who think that we're belittling Rich's serious medical condition, look, if you've known Rich as long as you've known Rich, as long as we've known Rich, this is just like going to the bathroom, really. <laughs> yeah. For yeah.
5: You. We just kind of do this. <laughs> like this is life. Exactly. Like it Everybody's like, "Oh, I'm so sorry." I'm like, "No, this is actually normal. This is yeah. one time a year. Like, don't you worry about it.
4: it's fine." Yeah. My My coworkers are all like deeply concerned. I'm like, "Dude, I'll be back Monday. In fact, if I if I can, I'll try to work remotely. I'm not <laughs> actually sick. I just need IV medicine. It's not a big deal." Yep.
0: Yeah. Uh, all right. So so wrap wrap this up and tell us about communism to answer Jesse's question. There. Tell us why why what we've been talking about isn't communism.
4: So okay. So form I'd I say communism is a form or a type of socialism that adds on all that weird kind of metaphysical bullshit uh, that, uh, that I, I mentioned earlier about uh, uh, historical materialism and uh, the, uh, uh, the inevitable struggle of class against class in every society, and the only thing that's different is what the means of production are, right? So Marx said it was, started out as, uh, as uh, well actually he said everything started out as primitive communism, and slave-owning societies. Then feudal societies, then capitalism—that's where we are now. Uh, and then, uh, supposedly, there would be uh, a, a workers' revolt once uh, the, uh, the mode of production was such that it could no longer sustain capitalism and the governments that support it. Still waiting there, Carl. Yeah. Uh, but, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but But yeah. So so I, I think so the difference between those like petrostate kind of places. And communism is just the absence of that kind of theoretical edifice that says, well, this is all sort of the inevitable outcome of of, of human activity. Marx saw himself as kind of a Newtonian. He he regarded his theories as laws of motion for society. He literally used that phrase. So he he thought of himself as an Enlightenment thinker, as doing for sociology and economics and politics what Newton did for physics. Uh, so you know, he was a real humble guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs>
0: king of the king of the humble brag, there. King of it.
4: Right, right, exactly. You know, uh, so, so consequently, a truly communist society kind of incorporates all of that stuff too. So Cuba is communist uh, because they're all about the Marx. Venezuela under Chavez definitely was, Good probably type. still is. <laughs> be, be, uh, come on, I don't want to be to that guy. <laughs> Oh, hey, this is a pretty sweet-ass gun. Okay, so... Uh, <laughs> otherwise, I just went right over your head.
0: <laughs> well, Rich and Jesse, this has gone better than last week's episode, which Jesse wasn't a part of and, in fact, took place 22 years ago.
4: <laughs> I don't know. She, she was pretty, a pretty big fan of that episode. <laughs>
0: I guess we I guess we should explain this. This was actually a problem, you know. And whoever the producer of this show is, they should fire his ass on the spot. Oh, that's right, it's me. Uh, yeah, I was supposed to record five segments with you guys, and I recorded four. And so I thought, okay, no problem. We'll just get Rich and Jesse together and record a fifth segment. And then Jesse decided to go and have a life, and went away for a couple of days. And then I panicked. And then I joked, and I said, "Well, I should just probably find some old clip that I've got on my videotape collection of Rich drunk." And then I went with it. <laughs> That's not
5: the
0: there was. Yeah, right. <laughs> and fortunately, if you're looking for installments of Rich drinking, they're all over. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a box set written, yeah, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure that is why the internet was invented was just to you know maintain that archive. So, all right, Rich and Jesse. Well, you know, Jesse, I, I would say feel better, but you're not sick. Rich, Rich, feel better. And I'm I'm, actually, I feel
4: fine. I just want this stupid bug to be killed. That's all.
0: Well, kill it. Kill the bug. Kill the, kill the bug. Well, in enjoy. Uh, do they at least have cable? Oh yeah. Okay. Well then, enjoy cable and probably Wi-Fi. And yeah, folks, you can you can find there. This is silly now because now would be the time when we would be promoting your podcast. But
5: we <laughs> actually... got two episodes in the can. But I haven't had you yet. <laughs>
0: I'm I'm just saying that since I brought my podcast back, and that's now a month and a half ago. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, we we are we we're the worst. We know. But we, we at least hate ourselves for it, so that's at least some consolation.
0: Okay. Well. Well. Again, to, as part of our podcast partnership, we are contractually obligated to promote the Philosodorks podcast. But as it currently doesn't exist, just you know, smile, nod, and find find Jesse and, and Rich guess, on the Twitter.
4: Maybe, maybe they haven't heard the couple episodes we've already got on on, on I really online
0: need to
4: get on that shit. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Nothing else. You, you, you'll have succeeded in getting Jesse into editing the two and posting the two that we have uh,
0: still in the can. Well, Jesse, here's a thought. While Rich is in the hospital, you can do an episode with you and the two dogs at home.
5: I'm sure they will have a lot of insight.
0: Interesting- I'm sure that it would, you know, lots of insight. If there's puppy treats to be had, they can help you out. So, all right, yeah, folks, Google Philosodorks, You can find them on social media. You can find them and in, in, in check out the backlog of, of previous episodes, and one day we'll have new episodes. <laughs>
5: You know huh. what's really terrible is that I was waiting in line for the blood drive at Dragon Con and the guy in front of us actually runs a podcast network. <laughs> I'm like, Yeah, we've got two
0: episodes <laughs> uh... And so well ultimately I can't throw stones because next week I could just as easily not do an episode. So I mean that's you know the, the good and the bad of podcasting is we are our own bosses. So, you know, that's we can we can decide it. All right, you two crazy kids, you have fun and enjoy the, the you know, cheese and alcohol in Wisconsin. Absolutely.
4: I'll, I, I keep telling them to put a bar in this fucking hospital. They won't uh, listen to me.
0: That's, you know, that, that that is when we will truly have socialized medicine. <laughs> we can be social and medicated. All right, guys, you take it easy. <laughs> I
4: thought you didn't do puns.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I don't know that that was a pun. And I grew
3: up listening to talk show hosts like the late, and I can't believe it, since February, Alan Combs, who I grew up as a teenager listening to on WNBC in New York. Alan could talk about anything. Politics, he could be funny, he could talk to nudists, and then he could talk to Al Sharpton. Thank God he had him in separate rooms. And, you know, you could, but he he could do anything. And I just wanted to hear what Alan thought. Howard Stern is the same. I love Howard Stern. I don't know him, and I've never met him, sadly. I can listen to Howard talk about anything. Al Rantel, the great talk show host from KABC, who's now retired, once said to me, "In his Al Rantel voice, well, look, you know, uh, great radio talk show hosts, and you're one of them." And he made me feel feel so good.
1: You're one of them,
3: great radio talk show hosts. I've always said this. They can read the phone book and be entertaining doing it, and I believe you can do that.
0: <laughs> and you can do and it in a dozen said, different voices. <laughs>
3: Yeah, and that was the idea, right? Yeah. So it's just you know it's really it's important. It's important, and I, I respect it as an art craft and I, art craft. And I get angry, I do. I get angry when I see people who don't. Do, would I walk up? I don't want to sound bitter and angry because I'll leave that for when I'm unemployed. Because <laughs> unemployed radio guys, they're really the ones that <laughs> they are furious. When when I would would I ever walk if uh, Pat Harvey's on vacation? Would I dare walk to Channel Two in Studio City? at radford and say hi um you don't know me i'm brian could i uh, host the news tonight at five no <laughs> but i get people and because radio is accessible and because great radio hosts make it sound easy i get people our station gets people all the time who would like to come in and co-host the show oh really yes yeah. because <laughs> because it sounds that easy which i guess ultimately is a compliment to the work we do so i'll focus on the good here kevin
0: there you go trying to think of the best way to phrase this question without making it sound like I'm asking you to, you know, trash talk your coworkers or your stations, but what is the biggest criticism you have of what's going on with radio right now? What would you like to see changed?
3: Yeah, I think
0: think the biggest criticism
3: in radio, generally speaking, is the fact that, and it's a very, very general answer. My very general criticism of radio is that the fact that I would request a vacation day on a Tuesday and can't get it on a Friday is... (laughs) Uh, no, I'm, oh, I'm sorry, you wanted general criticism. I'm sorry, you wanted, okay.
0: Maybe less general.
3: Okay. okay, I'm sorry, less general. Thank you, thank you for the note. Less general. The, the, the criticism that we are becoming less relevant to the people who we broadcast to. Radio has been and ought to stop. It's an emergency. We need to stop the reality that allows us to be lumped in with television, the Internet, and all the other digital providers of content radio is different it is special it is right there in your neighborhood if you're of a certain age you can remember driving past the radio station and maybe even seeing the radio dj or tacos do his or her show right there through the window uh so we need more of that we need more of that while we hold on to the monster capital investments that are seen on wall street and in other aspects of the financial world that recognize radio as this enduring, profitable business. And does it have to be streamlined when you're answering to shareholders and, and, and do and, and, and do profits have to be maximized and expenses? Uh, yeah, I guess they do. And, and you hear it in my voice. Yeah, I
0: guess you have to run a business. <laughs> it's so, always a business, but, no matter what.
3: Yeah, but that's right. You do have to run a business, but we need to hold on to, like I said earlier, the importance of radio in people's lives. My goodness. It's so important in the lives. I mean, look, content matters. And if you hear, if you turn on the radio and hear a great funny bit, and I did a couple of them this morning, one of them comes to mind, I had Donald Trump rap it. If you turn that on and you hear that, I would like to think if you're in Milwaukee or Los Angeles or New York or Kansas City, you'll laugh at that. And that's content that's laughable. And that's great and that's entertaining. And I see the dial research, and I see the dials go up when we do entertaining things like that. People like it. Right. But after that, in, into the spots, out of the spots, and and as we adorn the Christmas tree with all of the other things we do on the morning answer, we like to remind people we're in L.A. and Orange County on AM eight seventy. We're in the IE on AM five ninety. We're your local morning radio show. And and I and and some people get into radio, and they oh I got to be syndicated tomorrow, and I want to say to these people syndicated tomorrow you barely know how to do this today and uh so 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 i think that's a challenge and i and and i and i also think and i'll leave this to my last answer and i'm not angry i'm really not so i should probably not use the term whoring out but radio (laughs) radio whores itself out to men and women who write books well radio whores itself out to men and women who appear on television look nice and do a good job Mm -hmm. radio whores itself out to ladies and men who write blogs that get lots of hits. Those talents, while respected by me and many others, do not qualify you to be a radio talk show host. I'll I'll leave you with a final story on this. Uh, One of the jobs, I'm not gonna say the station or when or the job, I was working on a show and we needed to add a person. And they wanted to add to the mix, they wanted to add a female person. And I got a letter from a higher up, someone who I love very much. They said, hey Whitman or whatever, you know, Brian, here's uh, a candidate. This person's name is blank. And here's a few reasons why this person would be a great candidate for our station and our show. And this is after doing, you know, in the middle I'm doing 20 years of conservative radio. So it is so you know, what, you know the type of post they're looking for, right? Yeah. The three things listed, on, the three things listed on the letter were, she's a Christian, she's a mother, she's a gun owner. <laughs> and and I turned, you know, like I turned the page over to see if there was more on the other side, you know. And there was. And I said to friends, and I even said to my pal, who sent me the letter, I said, we've entered a new era, although at least, uh, it, you know, now it's on tape. We've entered a new era. These are not qualifications to do talk show hosts and be entertaining. We're doing an entertain. we're in show business. It doesn't mean we say things we don't believe. It doesn't mean we say things... Uh, just for the sake of saying them. What What it means is we're entertainers. We're smart entertainers who ideally, on a perfect morning, on a perfect morning, speaking of me, Brian, I get you to think about and consider really important issues or not so important issues, and get you to the point of contemplation and maybe personal solution or some sort of answer. That's why we call the show that. And I get you there and I bring you there through the art of comedy and being funny and that's how I make the otherwise sometimes stodgy topic interesting to you that's a lot of what I do
0: And like I said, not to sound like I'm just fawning all over you, but I I think you do it well. I've got, you know, you you have choices in LA as you're driving to work and you can listen to NPR, which frankly, while I like a lot of the topics, their morning style just puts me dead to sleep, which is not a good thing when you're behind the wheel. And the the truth is,
3: and the truth is, (laughs) and I'm critical of NPR, but the truth is, if it's the end of the month and you've run out of your Salminax or your Lunesta, <laughs> it's great I mean, for that. <laughs> we, we meet these people around, yeah. I mean, do no drive, no operating, no operating heavy machinery while listening to mornings become a collector.
0: right? And then the other options that we have are the radio stations that play the same thirty songs over and over and over again. And so, quite frankly, you, you know, the Morning Answer is is a great alternative. It's a great go to place where again, there's times that I want to shake my car radio, you know off the dashboard when the topics are just... Yeah, and, prob- <laughs> and probably <laughs> choke me and probably choke the life out of me. I understand that. And the I people who it. call in and everybody else. But it, but like you said, if you can do it in an entertaining way, you know, I have friends and we talk politics all the time and some of them are conservative and some of them are so far to the left that, you know, it's ridiculous. And it's okay because right. we, we get along and we have fun with each other and we understand each other and we can relate. And that to me is what I get... Out of listening to your show, no, I don't know you personally, and I don't know whether you know. For all I know, you and your co-host Jennifer hate each other off, Mike. I have no idea, but you, have... yeah, and that's not true. I've, <laughs> I've worked with people
3: that I've worked with with people that I don't have uh, that I didn't have at the time. We were working exactly friendly relationships, but I promise you, uh, Jennifer is one who's a. Real BFF, We're 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 really the bestest of friends. We text all day. We have a running show we're doing all day, texting each other back and forth. But <laughs> but um, you know, it's another thing. I know radio is famous and uh, nightly news, famous tapes of anchors screaming at each other. A real important oh, the, part the, of the job. The
4: Paul Moyer
0: or the Yeah, the Paul Moyer yeah, Paul one Moyer is legendary. Anne
3: Martin, you know. <laughs> my favorite is when Ann looks at Paul and she says, Every night? Every night? Well that's <laughs> the way it looks like it's gotta be, Ann. And he's given her a hard time for, you know, drinking and everything, obviously, but uh, I don't know that she does. But the thing is, uh, the audience and the emotions and the comfortability of the audience is paramount. And if you don't like somebody, pull it together. Mm -hmm. Because just like you don't want to be stuck in a car or stuck sitting at a dinner table with a couple that bickers and doesn't like each other, people aren't stuck, but they still don't want to be party to listening to a couple of people bitch, I can say that, right? Right. Bitch back and forth, male, female, this is not sexist. Uh, It's uncomfortable and it's not welcoming. We wanna be hospitable. We want people to come back again. I always say, thank you for making us part of your morning routine. We're as much a part of your routine as as you're as much a part of our routine. Let's make it copacetic and harmonious for all involved so that guess what? We all decide this was a cool enough experience that we'll do it tomorrow and the day after. And then, if we do that for 14 days, they send me a check.
0: <laughs> well, that makes you one up on podcasters. We don't get squat. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Whitman, I thank you so much for taking taking some time with me here. And, and is there anything you want to promote, plug, specially shout out anything else to my happy little listeners?
3: I would ask people to listen to The Morning Answer. The Morning Answer is uh, all about what's happening in the world. The news of the day, whether it's Iran or Hurricane Irma or Hurricane Harvey before that or whether it's the latest, uh, you know, Twitter uh, Twitter war between Arnold Schwarzenegger and George Bush. Uh, Today we had Donald Trump rapping about Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. So if it's happening, come and hear us, AM 870, you'll hear what's happening. Get in the car, people lead busy lives. Get in the car, we'll be talking about the big news of the day when you get in the car. AM 870, if you're in L.A., Orange County, if you're in the I.E., it's AM590, and you can download the app, AM870 app. You can download it, listen internationally. So that's nice of you to allow me to, to <laughs> plug this. I, I've, been, I've been doing a radio. I'm in my 31st year of doing radio. This is, I'm in my sixth year on The Morning Answer, a show that was rebranded when I joined it. It is, uh, it is a show, unlike other political shows, that allows posts, not just callers, but hosts, with differing perspectives, to not do battle, because it's not a debate show. It's a show where we talk about the news and illuminate differences, and we can disagree without being disagreeable. And it's really important that we do that. We we, uh, A lot of conservative people listen to our show, but a lot of liberal people and a lot of independent people who are not strident on either side listen to our show because they're going to get... Both sides, and there's not just two sides. Believe it or not, there's right. three, four, sometimes five, six, seven sides to an issue. And if I don't get to all six or seven, seven or eight of my characters will give voice to uh, to some of those <laughs> other sides too. But it, it's really important, and I thank you. I thank you for asking. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and I, I, I would, an I would again, voice. I would
0: never ask you to, to to disparage your your coworkers there at the radio station. But I do wish that several of them would take a cue from the morning answer and kind of. I guess be a little bit more respectful with alternative points of view <laughs> that would be my, 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 my one uh, if, you know next time you 're in the in the coffee yeah. coffee room in, with with your in coworkers
3: ten, in in, in <laughs> ten seconds kevin i 'll respond to you I think respect is important no matter no matter the side or the no matter the voice the the words are coming from or the ears they 're falling upon. We ought to have respect for. For opinions that are different than us we had and i am not going to open pandora's box i'm one person who's glad that white supremacist groups managed to get on television i'm one person who's glad that we heard their anti-semitic racist chanting you know why because now we know who they are
4: yeah
3: and now we know what they think and a textbook told us that but to see them without the hoods and isn't that scary they don't want the hoods because they feel emboldened to be seen great now we've seen you and we won't forget what you look like i'm not threatening anybody but no. we know what you believe and we've seen you and that that's that's progress that that's progress in an apolitical sense uh, not progressivism that's progress <laughs> to know who they are is progress kevin this has really been a pleasure uh i wish you luck with your podcast you really do a great job you have a great deal of knowledge obviously i'm not kissing your butt but you have a great deal of knowledge And uh, your big basket of knowledge is rivaled almost only by your big basket of appreciation uh, for the art form that you cover on your podcast. So I applaud you. I'm really glad we put this together. I'm sorry I fell asleep and took a nap. but Naps are important,
0: believe me. And and this is something like a few years, up until a few years ago, I couldn't nap at all, and I considered it a personal failing. But last year or two, I'm good with it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you got to be careful. See, if you go past
3: today, I broke all rules. If you go and getting up at you know three thirty, four in oh, the morning yeah. to do a radio show, well, when the show's over at ten o'clock, I'm ready to have uh, sausage and peppers and pizza because mm-hmm. it's lunchtime. But the world, by the way, to everyone who's an entrepreneur, the first person to invent a cell phone that doesn't have to be recharged <laughs> all the time will be wealthier than Steve Jobs. <laughs> But uh, but the 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 point is that uh, I'm ready for lunch when I get off here, and it doesn't uh, you know the world doesn't live by our our crazy schedule. As for naps, if it's more than forty five minutes, do you get that kind of post nap headache, which is brutal? I oh, hate yeah. that.
0: Yeah, and then you you kind of are in a haze for the next hour, regardless, to try to sort of get your brain back on track. But you know, yeah, yeah. It, I, I I say yeah, about yeah. all things, practice makes perfect. I'm going to keep napping until I get it right. Damn it, that's. Yeah, well, well, good luck with that, by the way. It's, it's see, a right? life goal. I'll, I'll be
4: doing my
3: own. <laughs> I'll be doing my own experiments here uh, at my own lab, which I call Fred. I'll be doing my own experiences at the lab in the laboratory, uh, the bedroom. So, uh, if you get any good intel, bring it my way, Kevin.
0: We'll do. Well, again, I, I thank you so much. I like you know, like I said, on you know, on mic and off. It's I'm, I'm grateful to anybody who wants to take the time and have a conversation. And and it's easy with a radio guy. You can talk well, so. <laughs> Yeah, I hope I didn't talk too much. You're a pleasure. And anytime you want to do it again,
3: you know, like tomorrow or something. Yeah, sure no, uh, no, just
5: uh,
3: <laughs> call me and uh, happy to do it anytime you do a great job. You have a bright future. And I know you're, I know the people who listen, the people who are your fans, and they are, enjoy what you do. Because just in this short time talking on the phone... Uh, I enjoy what you do, so uh, so I'm going to be a regular listener. And I do thank you for for asking me to be on. You, oh. you 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 gave me a lot of practice because Mark Thompson from KFI wants me to be on his podcast called The Edge.
0: Yes, I know it and, well. And I, I look, said I, I'd do it. You you were indirectly one of the people who kind of led me into podcasting. It was when you when you and Conway got away from KLSX back or whatever it was called at the oh, time. Oh, there's, uh,
3: I'm sorry, away, away <laughs> is, is a very nice uh, way to describe that.
0: We were fired. Yeah, there was that. And, and <laughs>
3: yeah, when you guys got away from Free FM, yeah, we got away yep. because they had the cops there who said if you come back, you'll be arrested for violating a restraining order. <laughs> I'm kidding about that part. Well, yeah. But, but we but, didn't get away, you're so sweet. But you Just guys
0: both, you, you guys get both, get you both, you know, did, did went the podcasting route, and there were, you know, a lot of, it was sort of my time to discover podcasts, And what it could be And the potential of it And like I said If if you Google Or go onto iTunes store And try to look up podcasts There are just nothing About writers And about behind the scenes people You can find Every other topic imaginable But nobody seems to want to sit down And talk to people Who create media and I don't understand. Yeah. That, and from
3: so. and from uh, right, right, from Pomona to what it is, Corona, I mean, you're a local boy done good with a great perspective. I love to talk to people born in Hollywood, maybe not born into an industry a business and I do mean show business family uh, who have gotten so much just by geographically being in the confines of L.A. County.
0: Yeah, and we, when when I was a kid, we did not really go to Hollywood or the big city at all. That wasn't something that was a part right. of our routine. I didn't really discuss, get the broadcasting bug until college, and that was when it bit me hard. Right, that boy there in
3: Hollywood, boy, that's the <laughs> devil's workshop there where they do all those uh, nasty things we're not even going to talk about not here in this Chevy Malibu. <laughs> pretty I'm much asleep. it. Okay, Kevin, this has been fun. I thank you. Let's do it again soon.
0: I thank and, you, uh, and you enjoy please, your weekend. Please send
3: me a message. Thank you. <laughs> please send me a message with all your numbers so that I can be in contact and harass you. Absolutely, uh, anytime. Okay, be well, Kevin. This is all good, but, uh, but if we go on any longer, people are going to say they don't know when to stop talking.
0: Well, the good news is we've already raised $2 million for Jerry's kids, so, you know, that's... A, Have that's we? A, well, <laughs> when you walk
3: through a storm, keep your head up high. I don't do a Jerry
0: impression. That's okay. <laughs> you have a good evening and, and a good weekend, and yeah, we'll stay in touch. You do the same. All the best, and continued success on your
6: podcast. You take it easy. Be well, Kev. Thanks.
2: It's time for our own version of Siskel and Ebert, only, you know, living. Here's film critic Tim Brennan.
0: Okay, it is film review time, which means we need a film critic, and as luck would have it, we have one in the form of a man named Tim. There are those who call him Tim. How's it going, sir? Oh, so far so good. How about yourself? Not too bad. We are talking scary stuff with you today, if I'm not mistaken.
6: Yep, we're talking about um, the latest film adaptation of uh, Stephen King's work, and we're going to talk about It. It.
0: All right, now uh, fair warning: I have not seen this film. It is good. That it is good. That's good. But I ha- I did see the original. Well, I guess it was back then. It was a made-for-TV series, movie series. So let's let's yeah, launch back, into it. it. Yeah, Tim Curry who played Pennywise in the original. Who's who's doing the scary clown part now?
6: The scary clown in this is uh, Bill Skarsgård. And he is the son of a Swedish character actor Stellan Skarsgard. Mm. Um, and if you know, if you don't recognize the name, you've seen the guy in a bunch of stuff. <laughs> and what's interesting is, you know, if you remember the 1990 TV miniseries, it was an okay miniseries with a. And I don't know if Tim Curry's performance is good or entertaining, or both. Well, Tim Um, Tim
0: Curry can act his way out of a paper bag, so that's not tough for him to pull off.
6: Right, for real. And what's nice is that this film version is much stronger than what we had back in the 1990s. I would say that Bill Skarsgård's performance, I think, is a stronger, better, and just more iconic iteration of uh, Pennywise. ...than Tim Curry's. I mean, this is on par with, like, the first Nightmare on Elm Street with Freddy Krueger... Hmm. Um, the first Halloween showing Michael Myers. It's there. There's going to be a bunch of people, you know, like it or not, that are going to be dressed up as Pennywise this Halloween.
0: <laughs> well, let's launch into the film itself. Does it is it still as as the novel and the original TV miniseries? Where is it still divided basically into two segments: the child segment and then the adult segment. The
6: director is uh, Andy Muschietti, and he and his screenwriters have done, I think, a very intelligent thing here. Where, um, you know, for those who aren't familiar with the premise of the novel and the movie, uh, it's set in uh, the small town of Derry, Maine. And Derry, Maine has this fun habit of uh, every 27 years, children start vanishing from the town. And in King's novel, uh, we meet a group of kids uh, called the Losers Club. In the 1950s. In this version, um, it's been updated to the late 1980s. And the kids, w- the film starts with um, one of the kids' younger brother being killed by the wicked Pennywise. And the older brother, um, whose name is Bill, decides that he wants to. He wants to track down uh, the killer of his brother and, you know, get revenge and also stop this guy from killing kids in the town, which I can get get behind that. It's a noble effort. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And so um, the problem is, is that the adults in Derry are going through the motions of trying to keep people safe. They have a seven o'clock curfew. They seem like they're trying to at least appear, like they're doing something. But the adults aren't actually doing anything. There's a great scene where we see a uh, missing child poster, and then another missing child poster is put up directly on top of it. <laughs> so we can see that this kind of thing is going on all the time, and you know people don't really seem to give a damn one way or the other about it. And Bill, the main character, gathers together another six kids... As I said, they call themselves the Losers Club. Bill has a nasty stutter, and, you know, that gets him into some trouble with some bullies. You've got um, Stan, a very jumpy and literal kid. You have Eddie, who um, lives his life with a uh, mother as a hypochondriac. You have Ben, the new kid, who's kind of husky and gets picked on. Beverly, the sole girl in the group, who um, is being slut-shamed by the other girls in school over a a fake rumor. Mike, who is the only um, black kid in the group and seems to be the only black person in town, Um, and he's being picked on. Because he's black. Yeah. Uh, and then you have uh, Richie, a kid with a thick set of glasses and uh, an absolutely filthy mouth. Uh, and these kids take it upon themselves to try and uh, and track down uh, Pennywise and put a stop to him. And so with the film, what what we have going on here is the kids must deal with Pennywise. And then there's going to be a second version of it coming out, I would imagine, in probably two or three years where um, the now-grown adults have to come back and deal with Pennywise again.
0: Uh, So this Um, is It, Part 1.
6: Exactly. So (laughs) the book kind of interwove the kids and then their adult counterparts, And this version just deals with the kids, and then we're going to have the adult stuff going on in part two. And I am cautiously hopeful for that.
2: I'm a little worried
6: we're going to have stunt casting because, like, you know, I I like Chris Pratt, and I like, you know, Corey Glover, and I like Jessica Chastain. And I don't want to see a bunch of celebrities in a sewer set doing battle with an evil clown. I I think it would be stronger. If we have a bunch of unknowns, because the child actors we have in it, part one, as far as I know, the only two that have any kind of notoriety, one of them is Finn, is uh, Finn Wolfhard, who plays Richie, and he showed up as uh, one of the kids on Stranger Things. Mm. And the other is um, the kid that plays Bill, um, who is um, Jaden Lieberher. And he's been in a couple of movies. Uh, he was in Midnight Special, which I want to see was out earlier this year. But they're not celebrities yet, and that right. that really helps to kind of really make you buy them as the characters, as opposed to, oh, there's there's Chris Pratt fighting a clown. You know, we're not going to have that kind of situation. You know,
0: well, one one of my uh, main, I guess, criticisms of of the film. That deals with a bad guy Is that it used to be Like if we go back to Again the the late 80s Early 90s I think it was a version of It Pennywise was just a bastard And we didn't need to know Pennywise's backstory Or how his parents were mean to him Or whatever else it was You just had yourself a bad guy That you could root against Now with the new version do we learn about why Pennywise is who Pennywise is or do we just not give a crap and enjoy having a bad guy to root against?
6: There is <laughs> there is a little bit of that. That we learn that Pennywise is this presumably extra-dimensional creature that's been around for centuries, you know, he is the uh, the oldest resident of Derry and it is because of him, that, you know, evil and nihilism have kind of seeped into the uh, the populace of Derry itself. But what's nice is, so far, we don't get into, like, this is Pennywise dealing with uh, settlers, and this is Pennywise dealing with trappers, or anything like that.
0: So we don't um, flash back to Pennywise as a child being, you know, injured by a priest right. or something. Okay,
6: We don't minute. have that now, but, I mean, this, this flick has made a... Uh, a ridiculous amount of money. Yes, it is. And has. I, I guarantee you, somebody at Warner Brothers right now wants to like fast track uh, Pennywise Year One. I guarantee <laughs> it. And but for I really, now, I really for for
0: this film, for this, it, if you will, this one is simply a bad guy being a bad guy. Right. Okay.
6: And it's a it's an incredibly well made film. There's a there's a ton of jump scares, which you kind of have to expect. That sure, but. Andy Muschietti excels at creating mood. So he's, in the the creepy scenes, he's able to create a feeling and an atmosphere of this kind of creeping dread before, you know, the thing jumps out of the frame and goes, boo! And that's something a lot of horror filmmakers are not good at. Um, But Muschietti's got that down cold. The other thing that he does really well, along with uh, the script, is... We've got a film that is about kids where instead of acting like miniature adults, they act like kids, you know, they are kids that are intelligent, thoughtful, compassionate, but they're also kids that are still not entirely mature. There are kids that are unbelievably foul-mouthed, which, you know, I I can remember when I was a 12 or 13-year-old figuring out, hey, this F word is pretty cool, and using it as much as possible. It's just a thing that kids do, you know? Yeah,
0: I mean, we, we hung out in college and continued to use the F-word, so I can relate to that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, I mean, as
6: time has gone on, I've kind of tempered my profanity a bit. But the I can fuck remember you back say. in the day.
0: Right. When, you know,
6: you would use profanity just, just because you could. And I love that the movie picks up on that little detail and runs with it. There are a lot of other films that wouldn't be perceptive enough to do that.
0: Well, that's cool. Well, it's it's good that you're actually reviewing a film that you seem to have enjoyed the totality of. That's it's it's nice for you. <laughs>
6: it it is, and I mean this is a this is a prestige horror movie that a major studio put you know gave a big budget to, gave uh, serious marketing res- resources to. The studio doesn't seem to be ashamed of it. They're they're all in on it, and I i really like that i it's a real problem when studios will kind of not give horror the respect it deserves i mean especially when you look at something like uh, get out which was out earlier this year which i mean that's for folks that haven't seen it and it's out on blu-ray right now it's it's an incredibly well-made film and i felt like a lot of people yeah, okay it's a horror movie Yeah, it's a horror movie that deals with racism, but often horror tends to be the most immediate and um, one of the most intelligent genres because when done correctly, it's commenting on exactly what's happening right now in the world. And that's really valuable, and people don't value that enough, especially studio heads.
0: (laughs) Well, that's true. Well, Tim, thank you, as always, for your film review segments. They can find the written version of them on aboutboulder.com somewhere, and we'll, of course, link to them on our various social media like we do. Uh, Anything to say in closing, or are are we good?
6: No, I think we're good. Just if you you want a a good, fun time out at the movies, give it a shot. If you can see it with a packed crowd, you'll have a lot of fun.
0: That, yeah, that to me is the way to watch any scary movie is with a bunch of people who can react to it. If it's just you sitting alone, you know, that's just kind of weird, actually. But <laughs>
6: Exactly, yeah. yeah.
0: All right, Tim. Well, thank you, and thanks to everybody uh, who, who listened, and thanks, of course, to Brian Whitman for his interview today. Uh, check him out on The Answer. Again, he is the lone liberal in an all-conservative radio station, so he's he's got some stories to share. Uh, thank you to the Philosopher dorks. Rich, get yourself out of the hospital soon. And I, I think that'll, that'll do it for thanks for today. We will uh, check in with you next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Until then, get off my lawn.
2: This has been the Get Off My Lawn podcast brought to you by Kevin's Bookmobile. Check out www.lulu.com/marusik for a selection of books authored by your genial host. Buy a paperback, download an ebook, and help support the podcast. That's wwwlulucom M-A-R-O-U-S-E-K. And by, our tip jar. Like what you've been hearing on the show so far? Want to hear more? Then help us out by going to getoffmylawnpod.blogspot.com. Clicking on the tip jar and donating to the cause of creativity. No amount too large. No amount too small. That's getoffmylawnpod.blogspot.com. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter at Get Off My Lawn Pod. Check out our SoundCloud at Get Off My Lawn Podcast. Or subscribe to us on iTunes for the latest episodes. Questions or comments? Or to suggest a guest... Our email address is getoffmylawnpod at gmail.com. The theme was written and composed by Brian Weideman. Check out his music at www.worldbride.com. That's W-O-R-L-D-B-R-I dot com. The logo was designed by Julie Contreras at Urban Bird Design. Go to urbanbirddesign.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. Tell a friend.
3: Hi, this is Brian Whitman from the Morning Answer, and I never miss the "Get Off My Lawn" podcast. I don't hear it, and I don't miss it.
0: You know, I'm going to put that on every single show for the next month.
3: Well, that's the idea. <laughs> that's why I said the Morning Answer. Well, now, that's now, exactly now, right.
0: now, see, now I'm going to be greedy and ask if Rick Dees can do a promo for me.
3: <laughs> All right, here we go. <clears throat> Coming
1: down oh it is Rickies, and it's coming down in three two and it's it's
3: get off my
1: lawn podcast here we go hi <clears throat>
3: hi <clears throat> wow that's how he really does it. That. that's what tracking with <laughs> him really sounds like so you're getting the real experience we are getting full
0: full d's <clears throat> experience
3: we well hello this is your friend
1: rigby's it's the get off my lawn podcast going all the way to number one we expect Kevin to get this bright podcast all the way to number one sometime in 2026, but lock in and stay right there. Listen, it is a
3: hit. <laughs> I do so appreciate
0: that what, that what I do
3: with my clients. I ask, is that all right? Can I do it differently? I, I, believe
0: I believe we're golden there. I believe we're good. Okay.